0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Everybody encouraged by that? Okay, I almost felt like uh, Luis needed to be on the screen at the end of it, pointing like Uncle Sam, like (laughs) we want you, (laughs) you know, for next year's trip, and it's going to be great. And the opportunities are great in front of us. So thank you again uh, for all of your giving. Thank you uh, for participating, those of you who went. And thank you uh, for those of you who vicariously were able to participate through your prayers. So uh, we really appreciate it. And obviously, this is only the beginning. So with that in mind, I just wanted to say uh, uh, hello and uh, thank you. It's good to be back. First of all, I wanted to just welcome back a newly minted, newly married couple. Can everybody give it up for Nate and Mary Kate Roberto? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Newly minted. Loving it. (laughs) Okay, and so um, please make sure to show them the love uh, this week. And then uh, I also wanted to say, everybody, get ready, ramp up, and pray, because in a week's time, Chris, that's right, <laughs> that's right. Chris and Aaron will become the Rosses, okay, in a week's time out in Oregon. So give it up for them as well. <laughs> so much love. All right, so it's good. So guys, it's a good. It's good to be back. Uh, my family and I. Uh, it's good. we had a great uh, time away this past week. We got to once again use our timeshare out in Branson, Missouri, and. If, you're wondering what's out in Branson, Missouri. Um, it, is, <laughs> it, is, it is the Ozark Mountains, so there was some great hiking. And as I've said before, there's what's known as... Uh, Silver Dollar City, which is actually like a Christian Disney World. So, if anybody ever wants to go and like, you know, support some good Christian ministry but ride some roller coasters, that's a great place to go. Okay, so we had a great time out there. We we're refreshed, rejuvenated, had some great family time, and but we're so happy to be back with you. We missed you guys. So, um, Cole did an amazing job last week, did he not? Yes, yeah, sir. I got to hear. Um, well, B and I actually—that was our we did visit a church out in Branson while we were there and got to be with the people of God and see what God's doing in that community because we still want to worship, right? Even when we're away from our um, you know, natural family, the people of God at Second City. But we also want to um, celebrate what God's doing all over the world, including Branson. So we got to be in a church there. But on the way back from Branson, we got to listen to the message that Cole preached last week. And I was ministered to. I hope you were ministered to as well. And it was great. He's anointed to speak. And how many people want to hear more from Cole. Yeah. All right. We're going to set that up. All right. So sorry, you can look up now, Cole. (laughs) All right, so this is going to be good, um, and it's going to be great. So it's good to be back with you. Um, I just wanted to tell you that we're going to jump into a new series uh, as we go through the rest of the summer, and it's actually going to be one to prepare us for all that we're going to go into in the fall semester, because the fall is like a fiscal period for us, uh, where families travel, uh, individuals travel over the course of the summer, um, get their rejuvenation, relaxation, but, you know, as kids go back, to school, families come back in town. Um, the students, the college students themselves, come back from mission trips and internships around the world. Uh, we really want to get our gears going for all that God wants to do here in our city. Um, but to do so, we want to um, say that it's not just enough that we talk about the activity of God. What we're here for primarily is the person of God. We're here for the person of God. And I, and I love what uh, Cole was talking about last week in Come To Me when he was talking about the first and primary importance of our relationship with God is coming to him. Even as we do come to one another, we've got to come to him first. And so what our series is going to be over the course of the next several weeks is a series called Revealed. The names, qualities, and character of God. Revealed. The names names, character, and qualities of God. Because if we're going to serve God wholeheartedly, we've got to know who he is, who it is in fact that we're serving, who it is in fact that we're relating to, who it is that we're putting our trust in. Um, If we have this concept about coming to him, it's one thing to have an idea about coming to him, but the question is who in fact are we coming to? And how are we supposed to relate to him? And in the midst of life circumstances, how are we to respond to him based on who he's shown himself to be? And so that's what we're going to study for the next several weeks. And the way we're going to do it is basically how God himself has presented himself throughout scripture. Because even as we're going to talk about today, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about this particular introductory message in two parts, asking the question, what's in a name? and the most important name, okay? What's in a name and the most important name, obviously being that of Jesus. Um, The thing about God is he's described himself over the course of history through many different names that describes who he is to his people. And what I want to say from the get-go is I don't want that to be confused with him saying that he's a multiple person or multiple character God, In the world in which we live today, it's very easy to get confused. It's very easy to ascribe to an idea of what's known as pluralism, which means that there are many different ways to God, or relativism, which means that something might be true for you, but it's not for me. I might think that God is um, approached or worshipped in one way, and you think that he's worshipped in another But that's not what we're talking about here when we talk about the different names of God. And this is why we're establishing the first part of the message on the person and the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, to make that very clear. But God, throughout the Old Testament, going into the New, described himself in different ways so that we would know his qualities and character, so that we would know how to relate with him properly. And so we're going to, over the course of the next several weeks, actually unpack that, see how God described himself, what he in fact called himself, so that we might relate to him, not as we want him to be, but as he is, as he is. And if we relate to him as he is, then we can come into all that he's called us to be and to do as a people. Okay? So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you um, so much for your goodness towards us today. God, we thank you that you have come near to us. You've come near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are not far away, but you desire to make yourself known. And God, over these next several weeks, starting with today, as we study your word, God, we're asking you that we become a people who are more intimate with you that we be a people who are attached at the hip to you because not only do we say that we worship you, but we understand our God that we say that we serve. God, show yourself to us, embolden us in our relationship with you, and show us how to live for you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we go. I want to start, again, Talking, with, uh, talking through this whole message, talking about what's in a name and the most important name by sharing with you a little segment that uh, a man who was actually years ago, back in the 1800s through the 1900s, he was actually a Moody Bible Institute professor. So for all the Moodyites, it's, like it's actually good for you. He's, um, he was actually a Moody professor, and he wrote a book called The Names of God. And I want to um, read to you just a portion of his introduction before we get into the scripture today. He said, the first question in some of our catechisms is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, if any of you had your catechism or, you know, went through confirmation, the chief end is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But we will experience God in such fashion. We will glorify him and enjoy him only in proportion as we know him. Only in proportion as we know him. The knowledge of God is more essential for the Christian and indeed for all the world than the knowledge of anything else. Yes, of all things together. The prayer of the Lord Jesus for his disciples in John seventeen three was, Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And speaking of this, Christ, our Jehovah Jesus, Paul sums up in Philippians 3.10, the great goal of his life, he said, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I suppose if sin had not entered the world, says one writer, the acquisition of the knowledge of God would have been through the high occupation would be the high, have been the high occupation of men forever and ever it is for a lack of knowledge of god and that the prof, <clears throat> that the prophet hosea informs his people that they are destroyed and it is from the lack of knowledge of god that many are without spiritual power or life there is little real knowledge in these days of the one true god And so based on that assumption, we're going to actually hope to, through the scripture, give a proper understanding of how he's shown himself, how he's revealed himself. So that when we say that we worship God, we might actually be worshipers that he desires. Jesus, when he talked about worshiping God, he said, the father desires those who will worship him in spirit, meaning by the Holy Spirit and in truth. And many times we see one or the other represented in our churches. We see people who are zealous for God and want to ascribe their zeal to the spirit, worshiping by the spirit of God, but they leave out truth because they have not attached themselves to the self-revelation of God given through his word. Or on the other side, we see people who are full of the word of God, but they do not interact with him in a dynamic way And so they don't have the spirit of God leading them into that dynamism of relationship. But Jesus said, I want people who are going to worship me in spirit and in truth, spirit and in truth. And so to do so, we've got to allow him to show us who he is through his word. So the first scripture we're going to look at today, if you have a Bible, is Psalm 138. We're going to read verses one through eight, and then we'll jump into what's in the name. Psalm 138, verse 1 says this, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted, meaning to lift up and treat with importance. You have exalted above all things, Your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So, first, we have got to ask the question what's in a name? What's in a name? We see, first of all, that in verse 2, if you were to study your Bible, I want to unpack this today as if you were in your bedroom. You were alone before the sun came up, (laughs) before work, before you had to go into the tenacity and the rigmarole of your day. And you were opening that word, you were opening that Bible, and you were saying, God, show me who you are. And God, I'm asking you to show me who you are based on the word that you've given me because according to verse 2, you said you've made more important than anything else your name and your word. And so if we're opening this word, we've got to look to his word and unpack it as a Bible study and say, God, what are you saying about yourself? I know I've shared this with you before as a common practice, but one of the things that we encourage you to do whenever you are reading your Bible is to ask four questions, You want to always, first of all, ask the question, what does it say? You want to give God the opportunity to speak for himself and to, without any presupposition or without any type of bias, allow the scripture to speak for itself. And importantly, we want it to be read in context. It's not enough that you have favorite scriptures and pull them out and make them say what you want to say. God means what he means, and you've got to have the context of it to properly understand it. The next question you want to ask is, number two, what does it say about God? What does it say about God? Because God himself is self-revealing. God is self-revealing. I know I say this over and over again, but this is so important today in our times that God is self-revealing because people want to make God whoever they want him to be. But God, he says, will not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we're going to know him, it's got to be based on who he's shown himself to be and not who we want him to be. And so what we see is that to fear the Lord is to understand him, to react to him, and to respond to him as he is and not as the world creates him. He is not a caricature. He is not somebody who will conform to you. In fact, the very lordship of Jesus Christ demands that we conform to him. And so, because of that, that second question of who does it say, who does the scripture say God is, is the all important one. But then, because of that, as we know who God is, it answers question number three what does it say about me? in relationship to God. And then finally, number four, it creates a worldview for us. What does it say about the world that he's created? And how am I to interact with the world that he's created if, in fact, as we get into next week, he is, in fact, Elohim, one of his names, which is the Almighty Creator? What does it mean that God is self-revealing? It means that it's important how somebody identifies themselves so that you might know who they are, and how to relate with them. I think about that all the time in marriage. And for those of you who just got married or want to get married one day or are about to get married, that's just important in marriage. Can everybody say amen to that? It's sort of like you cannot relate to your spouse based on who you want them to be or who you're trying to make them to be. You've got to relate to them based on who they are. And it will save you a whole lot of frustration in life if you come to love them and accept them for who they are and not who you hoped that they would be. It doesn't mean that you don't pray for them. It doesn't mean that you don't encourage them. It doesn't mean that you don't instruct them in the ways of the Lord, but you've got to embrace them for who they are and it's got to be that way with God. The fact that he's self-revealing says, I'm telling you what I like and what I don't like. I'm telling you if you come to me one way, I'll receive you. If you come to me in another, I'll reject you. He's basically giving standards through which we can understand him. Throughout Scripture, we have historical accounts of God revealing himself by certain names through which he gives us a picture of his personal qualities and reputation. That's answering the question, what's in a name? A name carries a reputation with it, right? Sort of like if you hear certain names in social media or or in the news nowadays, it automatically produces a reaction in you, does it not? How many people have a reaction nowadays to certain names? You hear their names and it's a visceral reaction sometimes. It's like, why are they destroying our country? No names name. You know, like, okay. Sort of like, yeah, you hear other names and you're like, you know, they're the, you know, they're the second coming of Jesus. Like all of a sudden you have reactions. Well, a name carries a reputation with it. Qualities on which God himself wants us to stake our hopes. And his word through which he gives us promises on which we build our lives based on his character. Based on his character. God's qualities give you a foundation through which you relate to him. It gives you a foundation through which you relate to him. Whenever we get into this scripture here, it answers the two questions for us. What do I do? And why do I do it in relating to God? If I'm going to relate with him properly, the two questions I've got to answer based on his qualities are what am I supposed to do when I'm trying to relate with him and why am I doing it as I'm relating to him? Isn't that true in any relationship that you have? How do I approach this person and why am I approaching them this way? If I'm going on a date with my wife, I've got to ask that question, right? What does she like? And why are we, in fact, going to another movie she's going to fall asleep in? The question has got to be answered, right? Otherwise, it's not going to be a success. In the same way with God, his qualities show us the answer to those questions. Let's go to verse 1 and 2. He says, "I give, of that psalm, he says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. And this is This is fascinating. Before the gods, I sing your praise. Before the gods, I sing your praise. Now, King David, the writer of this psalm, was he saying that there are other gods but the one? Absolutely not. The word here could also be translated rulers or those who try to put themselves forward as gods. Whether they're the gods of their own life or they rule certain portions of society or community, they affect the ideologies or the thinking of people. He's saying here, before this one God, I will, this one God, I'm going to praise you, and before others who consider themselves gods, I'm going to sing your praise. I'm going to say that you alone are worthy of worship, and that you alone have qualities that I should give honor to. I bow down toward your holy temple, and the answer why? Because God possesses the qualities according to verses 1 and 2, of steadfast love and faithfulness. Part of why I worship him is not only because he's creator God, but it's a good thing to worship him, right? His qualities are that he's full of love and faithfulness. And so why do I sing his praise before the gods, before the rulers who don't acknowledge him? It's because he's full of In his qualities, in his character of love and faithfulness. Of love and faithfulness. And I love talking about my wife. I love talking about my children. I love talking about you when I'm elsewhere. Why? Because you're amazing, you're great. Hearing these testimonies this morning or interacting with you week after week or seeing the people in the children's ministry or the setup team or the hospitality team or the greeters, I'm like, my goodness, this is a church that's worthy of praise, but it's because they've met the one who's only worthy of the greater praise, right? And so you're singing praises before those who don't in fact even acknowledge him because of the qualities that he has. And some of us haven't gotten to a place of overflow in our hearts where it's gushing out of us because we've not yet meditated enough on the love and the faithfulness that he has towards us. Because whenever you start to meditate on his goodness and his qualities, even the favor that he expresses to those who love him, you can't help but talk about him. You can't help but declare how good he is. It comes out of you because you've experienced it, because you've recognized it, because you're like, I don't care who I'm with, they need to know about it because he's got it for them too. And this is what God's saying. He's like, listen, know who I am. It should not be a burden to serve me. Matter of fact, the Bible says the commands of the Lord aren't burdensome. Well, I've looked at the commands of God before and I've thought to the contrary. Anybody else like me? Until I reflect on his qualities. Until I begin to relate to him as he is. And then if I interact with him as he is, then who he is overflows out of me very naturally. Instead of just thinking about what I need to do, I need to think about who I'm doing it for and why. God's character, as opposed to his qualities, gives you a foundation through which you respond to him and others, important, not just him, but others, in the midst of life circumstances. This is what verse 3 says. On the day I called, you answered me. On the day I called, because of your character, I came to you. I knew that you are a God in terms of character. It's a, it's a word that meant provenness, faithfulness. It's a word that meant it's something that's de- dependable. When I know your character, I know who you are through and through, and I know that there's something trustworthy about you that if I come to you, I can expect something like this from you. For instance, if you have a friend who loves joking, you could know that maybe you don't want to go to them in the serious moments of life or the forlorn moments because they might joke at the wrong time. Anybody have friends like that? Yes, you do because I'm one of them. <laughs> I remember in being in labor with my wife and she was pushing. And that she was obviously in pain and I was obviously uncomfortable, not like her, but I was uncomfortable and so I just started joking around. I was like, ha, 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 ha. I wonder what they're going to look like when they come out, I, you know. And like the, the nurse had to step in and rebuke me and say it's not time for this because there was something in my character that you could have depended on. That whether good times or bad, Uncomfortable ones. wrong's going to joke, but the good thing about God and His character is that He knows the right time for all things. He knows how to come to you and approach you and approach His purposes with the right tenor and temp, you know the right tone. He knows how to relate with His people. So David said, "I called to you and you answered me when I was in need. Why? Because I knew that my strength of soul would increase if I did." I related to you based on that faithfulness of character, of who you are. And so I can trust that you're going to not be like human beings who are many times, many times fickle. You might catch them on a good day or you might catch them when they haven't had enough Wheaties. But God is the same forever, right? He's constant. He's, he's consistent. His character, you know, and if you come to Him, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions that Cole was talking about last week can be strengthened if you come to Him based on that character. And that's why He also says, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is on high, He regards the lowly. But the haughty He knows from afar... Also, speaking of his character, that we don't have to have it all together, that you could be full of sin, you could be full of doubts, you could be full of fears. This is all that I was prior to coming to Jesus, and many times feel that same way as a Christian. Anybody with me? But he says that he looks on the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. How do I have confidence to come to him? because of his character. And if I know that by not just his reputation meaning his name but also his word, that means that despite how I'm feeling, he remains the same. So many people won't relate to God. So many people won't come to God because internally they don't feel like they have it all together. How many people have felt like that before? Sort of like God, I know I should pray, God, I know I should read my Bible, but I'm not feeling particularly holy. I'm not feeling particularly Christian. I'm not feeling particularly full of strength or great faith. Well, the good news is you come to him based on his character, not your own. You come and you relate to him because he's faithful even when we're faithless. And that's why it's important that we know his name, we know his qualities, we know his character, and therefore, as a heavenly father, we're relating to him despite how we feel. In an emotional, a very emotionally driven generation. And emotions are a good thing. Emotions are given by God, and emotions come from God, okay? God is full of emotion. You see the writers of the scripture, full of emotion and emoting to God and to one another so we we recommend emotions okay even though sometimes i feel robotic i'm telling you i want to get in touch with the inner rolling see the point is is that god cares about emotions but we can't limit our relationship with him to our emotions we've got to relate to him based on who he's shown us to, um, himself to be and not based on how we feel. The gospel is found in all his words. And even though we are going through the Old Testament and looking at the different names of God. They all point to the person and the name of Jesus. They all point to Jesus' redemptive work on the cross that he would eventually fill, fulfill. Now, Even if the prophets were prophesying thousands of years before or hundreds of years before his coming they still point to him and that character that would be represented in the gospel. And when it says in verse 7 that though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life, you stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. Often we think about just stretching out the hand like he's coming to fight, right? He's coming to fight for you and on your behalf in the person of Jesus. That's his character. You are not on your own. You're not fighting on your own. That's the character of God. The Bible actually says he's a warrior. He's not a punk, but he's a warrior. And he actually says, I get in the midst of your life and your circumstances, and I fight on your behalf, but I also think about him stretching out his hands against your enemies like the cross. Jesus stretching out his hand to the right and to the left and taking sin and punishment and shame on himself so that you might relate with him freely in peace because he's provided it for you. That's why Paul, the writer of Corinthians, said, for the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. This is verses 23 through 25. But we preach Christ crucified with his hands stretched out, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called... To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. When you hear the word, the right hand, the right hand was known as a source of strength. Deliverance was described as a form of rescue. Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross to show us His strength, through the weakness of dying, that our sin might be atoned for, and that we might be forgiven through repentance and faith in what? His name. Through faith in His name. And that's why, regardless of <clears throat> regardless of knowing the importance of a name, we've got to know the most important name, the most important name. And for all the other names that God will use to describe himself throughout scripture, we've got to know the name of Jesus. We've got to know the name of Jesus. Before we describe anything else of his qualities or his character, we've got to know the name of Jesus. The most important name through which God revealed himself is the name of Jesus, which means the Lord saves and comes with the reputation of Christ's necessary sinless life, sacrificial death on the cross for our sins and triumphant resurrection from the dead to provide eternal life. There is no knowing God without this penultimate revelation of his son who encompasses all of his qualities and expresses all of his character. It's not Christmas time. At least in your house. Getting close to it than mine. <laughs> Year round, baby. <laughs> but when Jesus was being announced to the world, he was announced this way, Matthew one twenty one through twenty three. It said, She, meaning Mary, Blessed Mother Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name. Before Jesus did any work, the Heavenly Father made sure to identify him by his name. By his name, encompassing his qualities, his reputation, and his character. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will do what? He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, oh, here we go now, Emmanuel. Emmanuel which means God with us. So all of a sudden, even in the New Testament, you see that his name was Jesus, the one that we worship is the one God, through Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. But even here, he's described as Jesus, meaning the Lord saves, and Emmanuel, describing something about him. That he would be God with you. Which tells us, once again, this is how you're to relate to him. That if you're going to relate to him properly, you need to understand him as the God who saves and the God who's going to be with you. Not far off, not distant, but coming to be near. Coming by the Holy Spirit to make a home in you so that you can in fact relate to him as he is. This is why in John fourteen eight through 9, Philip, even after following him for three years, Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, said to him, verses 8 and 9, Lord, show us the Father. That's what we want to do. We want to see our Heavenly Father. We want to know our Heavenly Father who loves us. That's full of that steadfast love and faithfulness. And Philip saying, in the cry of my heart, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So this world that is desperate for a God who will save them, restore them, heal them, make them whole. If they want to know God, who can do these things, they've got to know Jesus, who's the perfect representation of him. There is no getting around it. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so often in churches, especially nowadays, you pass buildings that will have signs up with all of the different religious icons on it, saying we all serve the same God. That is not true. We do not all serve the same God. Why do we know this? Because he has different qualities, character traits. He has a different way to approach him than the way that these other gods are purporting. And so if somebody wanted to know me, I said this before, I'll say it again, they can like the fact that for many years I lived in North Carolina, they can like the fact that I'm a Tar Heel, graduated from Chapel Thrill, they can like the fact that my head shines in the sun. (laughs) That's right. My father-in-law said God only made so many perfect heads, the rest he covered with hair. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. <laughs> but if people like all of these things but don't like the fact that i'm african-american then they won't be friends with me because it won't be me it won't be me If they like every other part of me, but don't like my ethnicity, then they don't like me. Same with God. There's only one. He's self-revealed through the person of Jesus. And he said, you can only come to him through that person of Jesus. Going back to what we originally referenced in John 17, he said this before he was about to be betrayed and crucified. Jesus prayed for his disciples, his followers, and it said, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the only one Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, not just anybody. But glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify and honor you, since you have given him authority over all flesh. And what does that mean? That means everybody. That means despite what they believe, despite where they've grown up, despite what ideologies they hold to, Jesus has been given authority over all flesh. And part of the reason that we are so intent on proclaiming the gospel is because he commands all people everywhere to repent. All people everywhere to repent and put their trust in his character, his qualities, and his redeeming work. Jesus went on and continued to pray. He said, you've given them authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have, whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. This is eternal life. It's not just being, like I say, a chubby baby with a harp and diapers, you know, strumming on a harp somewhere in the sweet by and by. But he said, this is eternal life. That they know you. Why are we talking about Who he is and how he's revealed himself, because this is eternal life. That they might know you. The only, everybody say that with me, only, Only. the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He went on. He said, I have manifested, which means that I have made it apparent and made it known. I have manifested your name. Once again, the thing he's made more important than anything else. You see how it's all flowing together? Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. So, do you think he had psalms in mind when he's talking about this? You better believe he did. He said, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words, his name and your word, that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth, worshiping him in spirit and in truth, that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are our mine. And I'm glorified in, your, <clears throat> in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you now, Holy Father. How is Jesus, the great intercessor who lives today? And what is Jesus doing at the right hand of God? Even as we speak today, and even as we live in the world, you go to your workplace, you go amongst your family members and friends. What is Jesus doing? He's our great high priest who is interceding for you. Interceding, making intercession, saying, I want them to make it. I want them to stand firm in my name and my word. They're going to be people who don't hold to my character or my qualities, but I'm interceding for those who love me, that they might stand in all the will of God and actually be eager to do what's good, eager to do things like go to the Dominican Republic and serve the kids, eager to do the same here in Chicago, eager to make his name and his word known. He says, I'm praying for you. And I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Don't you love that? Doesn't matter how you grew up doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. I love, I personally love standing up here week after week and just looking at the sort of color wheel. (laughs) The color wheel that's our church. Anybody else like that? It's like maybe people don't know how to get together on the outside of the church, but they sure enough are going to be united by his blood and his name and his word inside. Right? Despite cultural backgrounds and differences and idiosyncrasies. That's part of the beauty of the gospel, and that's part of the miracle of the gospel, is it not? He said, "I'm going to make them not one by what, by that word, by that name. See, I'm, I'm I know that who I belong to because I'm a fisher. I can go to Jamaica, not, not having been there in many years, and find a whole lot of fishers." Sometimes not for good reasons, but you know what I'm saying. But they're fishers, right? Jesus is saying, I'm uniting them by that same word, that same name, your family, like they were talking about earlier. And I want them to be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, meaning Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. That's what we want to be, right? In the world but not of it. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. So how are you going to do that, Father? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they too also may be sanctified in the truth. So we understand it's His name, His word. And then finally, through those things, we relate to him and respond to the world according to those qualities, according to that character. And then we come back to the psalm, which says, Lord, it's you who will fulfill your purpose for me. If I remain in your name and your word, it is you, despite how I'm feeling, despite my circumstances presently, as long as I'm holding to your name and your word, God, you will fulfill your purpose for me. Isn't that good news? That God himself is intent on fulfilling the purpose that you're longing for through your life for you. He said, you will fulfill your purpose for me. Do not abandon the works of your hands. He says, don't abandon my word. Don't abandon my name. I've got you. I've got you. And so this is going to be the foundation through which we talk about the names of God, how he's revealed himself in the coming weeks. Let's start by worshiping him as he is and giving him the praise that he's due. Amen? All right, worship team, come on up.